reading of God's Word. <clears throat> I'll be reading Luke 9, verses 1 to 6, and then verse 10a on the New International Version. You what? Test. Told you it's one of those mornings. Well, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake off the dust off your feet as testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. How's this mic? Is this mic on? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, good. Well, good morning. We made it. We're, we're getting, we're limping along. We're in a series on the Great Commission, which is these final instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends to the Father in heaven. In many ways, this is the mission statement for the church, which if you've then paying attention sounds a lot like our mission statement. Do you, do you remember what our mission statement here? And, oh yeah, well, thank you. So welcoming community, nurturing followers of Jesus, which sounds a lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? We should see some parallels there. We want to be a community that nurtures followers of Jesus. I mean, we want to invite new followers of Jesus, and we want to nurture existing followers of Jesus. And we do that not because we just kind of thought that'd be a good mission statement for the church, but because that's what Jesus instructs us to do in the Great Commission. And last week we talked about if we're going to make disciples, we have to know what a disciple is. We can't make what we are not, right? And so we talked about a disciple is someone who accepts the gracious call from Jesus to follow him, enrolls in the school of Jesus Christ, and then begins this lifetime process of dying to self and coming alive to Christ. So I want you to see, last week we really worked on the identity of a disciple. What does it mean? What, what changes in you when you, be, when you begin to follow Jesus? But what I want you to see today is you are given a mission when you become a disciple of Jesus. So there's two things that happen. There's a new identity, and there's a new mission. I want to start with a de definition of what does it mean to make disciples. You can put up that first slide, Ron. All right, we, we use the word often discipling, I don't know if that word really means very much to us, but let's, this is from Greg Ogden, the same guys last week. Let's read this definition. Discipling is a relationship where we walk alongside other disciples in order to encourage, equip, and challenge one another in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. 
All right, I want to start with what may be the most challenging part of that definition for us, and that is the we. I think most of us here today, we probably have some sense of, of, of our identity as a disciple of Jesus. We might not use that language. We might have to do a little work to think about what a disciple is. But I think we're, we're, most of us are going to be on board with that. But what about the we in discipling? Right? Is that part of your mission? I think um, many times, many of us, and I felt this way much of my own discipleship journey, that's somebody else's job. Anybody else feel that way? Like, my job is to be a disciple. My job is, I don't know, making disciples? That sounds kind of strange. And yet, right in the structure of Jesus' mission is this call to make disciples, this call to multiply disciples, right? Disciples make other disciples. Uh, And one of the neat things that we get in the gospel accounts is not only do we get Jesus' message, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we get the message, the life of Jesus But we also get the method. How did Jesus make disciples? And if I could sum up how Jesus made disciples in one word, it would be this, relationships. Just think about this. Jesus only had, he's got three years of public ministry to start a mission that will then launch into the entire world. That's his aim, is to make disciples of all nations. He's only got three years. What would be your strategy if you've only got three years? Think about that. His whole strategy was investing in 12 guys. As it's often been said, Jesus had enough vision to think small. Okay? Thank you, Rich. (laughs) Discipling is first and foremost a relationship, which I think is a little different than what we tend to think about. Let me give you some ideas of what I think we often think about when we think about discipling. Oftentimes, we think about information and programs, right? All right, how do we make disciples? We get them into a Bible study. We get them here to church. We get them to listen to a sermon series by hopefully the pastor will give. Are those good things? Yes. Is that discipling someone? I think we think about it as being discipling. I'm not quite sure that's actually discipling. I think that's different than making disciples because here's the assumption we're working under. If we can get them the right information, they will be transformed. And understandably, here's the other challenge. Is understandably, I think many of us, and I've felt this way for much of my own, we don't feel qualified to make disciples, right? So what we want to do is get them and hand them off to somebody else. Hand them off to someone we think is more qualified. I hear some shakes, see some shaking heads, right? I felt that same way. My job is to get them to someone who is more qualified than I am to make a disciple of them, right? Often that ends up being like the minister or the pastor or the leadership team or whoever, you can fill in the blank, right? But I want you to see that Jesus' method was different than that. He thought small. Jesus didn't think that you could just mass produce disciples. You couldn't just get them into a big stadium, give them the information, and boom, they're disciples. Think about the difference between giving someone information and investing in a relationship, right? If I Say you, uh, you don't know who Jesus is. I've got this great book I can give you. Maybe it's a Bible. Maybe it's something else. I hand you the book. I'm done. Right? My job's done. I've got you the information. You can now go on and become a disciple of Jesus. What if I offer you my life? What if I say, you want to know about Jesus? Here, I'm going to offer you my life. 
That's vulnerable. That's intensive. And that was Jesus' strategy. I want you to think about something for a second here. How much writing did Jesus leave behind for us? How much writing did he leave behind for us? Anybody have any of Jesus' primary writings? Do we have that in like a museum somewhere? We have zero of Jesus' writings. The only time I think that I, that I can recall that Jesus is ever writing is that scene in John's Gospel where he, he gets down and scribbles in the dirt. We don't we have any idea what he wrote there. That's the extent of Jesus' writing. Think about the difference in that and other religions. David Watson, he talks about, for example, um, Buddha. When Buddha was dying, Buddha's disciples asked him, how can we best remember you? And Buddha told them, don't, don't worry about remembering me. Remember my teachings. Remember my instructions. That's what counts. Not me, my teachings. With Jesus, it's altogether different. Everything centers around Jesus the person. Right? Jesus does not hand down information. What he does is invests in people, in relationships. Thankfully, you and I do have written accounts of Jesus' life, right? That we, because we can't be with the physical Jesus, we need that written account. But that's because those writings point us to Jesus. Our faith is first and foremost a relationship. It centers not on a philosophy, not on a set of ethics, not on a set of doctrines. Our faith is first and foremost, centers on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus sends us out to make disciples, his method of doing it is relationships, right? You and I, as disciples of Jesus, we become the relational link to Jesus. See, why is, why is, now why is that? Why was that Jesus' strategy? Well, think about this for a minute. I was thinking about this this week, all right? I, um, now, a, week, a little over a week, I'm taking my two oldest kids. We're going to the Upper James River in Virginia, and we're going to go on a five-day canoe trip. So, the Upper James apparently has really good smallmouth bass fishing. Right? And I don't know a lot about smallmouth bass, smallmouth bass fishing, right? So I've spent some time this week looking up YouTube and reading things. How do you do a Texas rig? How do you do a Caroline rig? How do you do a wacky rig? What's best to use in rivers to fish for smallmouth bass? And at one point, I realized this is a terrible way to learn how to fish for smallmouth bass. It's te- it was terrible. Like they, I learned some information, but I was like, this is the worst way to learn how to, to fish. Do you know what the best way to learn how to fish is? Go fishing, right? Usually it's with someone older, your mom, your dad, your uncle, took you out and showed you how to fish, right? So you're sitting in a boat or a canoe, and they rig up that rig, whether it's live or plastics, or whatever, a lure, right in front of you. You get to watch them fish. They throw it out. You get to watch that. At some point along the way, they're going to hand you over the rod, or a rod, right? Okay, now you've watched them. Now you're fishing, but where are they? They're right by you, right? They're like a coach right next to you. They're helping you work on your technique. They're showing you how to rig that up. If you land a fish, they're going to show you how to land the fish. You catch a fish. All right, And then at some point, you're going to be released to fish on your own. And hopefully you then, if that's a passion of yours, you're going to start teaching other people to fish, right? First and foremost, if I'm going to learn how to smallmouth bass fish, YouTube might help, information might help, but that's not as good as a relationship, which is what Jesus chooses to make disciples. 
Jesus calls his disciples to him, and the first thing he does is just say, hey, come on, hang out with me, let's go around. He does this, what we would call the I do, you watch stage of discipleship. So think about Mark's gospel. If you look at Mark's gospel, which we preached through a couple years ago, uh, Jesus calls his disciples, and guess what he does after that? He just starts going around everywhere with them. Come on, let's go. He starts healing people. He starts casting out impure spirits. He starts casting out demons. He starts uh, sparring with the religious leaders. He starts to eat with people he's not supposed to eat with, tax collectors and sinners. All the time, you all have almost nothing that the disciples are saying. They're just hanging out with Jesus and watching him, right? I do, you watch. And not only are the disciples watching Jesus, they're learning what he's doing, they're learning about who Jesus is. That's another thing you just cannot get from information. If I hand you a book, you're going to know nothing about my character, okay? If I give you my life, now you're going to start to learn about my character, who I am, right? So what are they learning from Jesus? They're learning who does he have a heart for? Who does Jesus love? What does he do? Who does he hang out with? And what they notice is that Jesus is often hanging out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with. Right? Think about the difference between saying, you should eat with the poor and outcasts, and saying, you know what we should do? Let's have the marginalized people in our community, the poor, let's have them over for dinner. That's something different, right? You should eat with the poor, come with me while we eat with the poor. There's something different there. Following Jesus, as I'm hopefully we're kind of getting, is not just about head knowledge. Knowledge has a place. It's about relationships. And deeds of compassion and justice are a key part. So this first stage of discipleship, we're looking at Jesus' method for making disciples. I do, you watch. When you and I work on nurturing disciples, we don't just give them information. That's part of what we give them. We give them our lives. They learn who Jesus is, not just by us telling them about Jesus, but hanging out with us. By, by seeing who we care about, who we hang out with, how we act, what our character is. And this is important not only for people that have already chosen to follow Jesus. So if we've got disciples with us, that's important for them. But guess who it's also important? Because part of what we're doing on the Great Commission is that we go out as witnesses. right? We're going out to witness to who Jesus was and Jesus' message. And guess what? I think especially today, there's a few exceptions to this, but how do people learn about Jesus that don't know Jesus? Do they, do they find themselves in the library reading lots of, lots of books about Jesus or even reading the Bible? Maybe at one time, not today. Very few people are just going to say, I want to learn about who Jesus is, and therefore I'm going to pick up a book and start reading it. Their link is almost always a person. They learn about Jesus through another person. Let me tell you uh, just an example that drove this home for me. A couple weeks ago, a woman came through, uh, stayed at our house, ate supper with us, and uh, we knew this woman, Krishan and I knew this woman from Illinois. We, we, owned a, we managed a farm. We grew mainly uh, produce and uh, berries and, and soft fruits and that kind of thing. She had a farm down the road with her husband that focused on a little bit different stuff growing than ours. And so what we would do sometimes is we'd swap produce for our CSAs. Um, and, or sometimes we would just buy produce from each other. And so I got to know this woman and this couple uh, through the farm that I managed. And um, years later, after I had moved from Illinois and she had stopped farming, she came through, and I found out that she had become Christian. She had become a Catholic. And I was 
shocked. A lovely person, just an absolutely lovely person, whom I thought had zero interest in Jesus, right? I had a great relationship with her. She came back a couple weeks ago, and, and I could tell this has been a few years now that she's become a Christian, and man, her heart is just on fire. Like, she was just sitting at our table saying, like, how do I talk to people about Jesus? I don't really know how to do it, but I want to talk about Jesus because Jesus, you know, clearly has transformed my life, and I want people to know about Jesus. And she said something really surprising to Christian and me. She said, you know, when I was searching for Jesus, you were some of the only people I knew who knew Jesus. And I wanted to ask you about Jesus, but I didn't know how to do that. And this just floored me. Because when I'm dealing with watermelons and blueberries and whatever else, the absolute last thing I thought she wanted to hear about was Jesus. Right? I mean, anybody had that experience? Like, this person, I know this person doesn't want to hear about Jesus. That's how I had pegged this person. And it hit me. Two things hit me. One, people are watching. People are watching us all the time. Even when we don't know they're watching us, they're watching us. But two, there's people out there that want to know Jesus that don't even know where to start. Like a lot of us who have been in the church our whole life, this is strange. Like Christian, were like, we would have been loved to talk to you about Jesus, right? Oh man, that would have been like, not very often people come up to you and say, I don't know Jesus, tell me about Jesus. That's, I mean, that's like everybody's dream, I think. But she, she was searching for him, and we didn't even know. And she didn't even know that she could ask us, right? People are often nowadays not going to pick up a, Jesus, a book about Jesus or even the Bible. They're going to read your life. Your life is your witness in many ways. So here's the first thing I want you to see about this Jesus way of making disciples. Jesus chooses relationship. He thinks small. He invests in a few people. And that is the way that he chooses to spread his message, all right? But there's another stage to Jesus' discipleship method. And that is, the first one is, uh, you watch, I do. The second one is, I do, uh, and you help. I'm sorry, you do, and I help. This way, it's kind of like the guy, the, the, the dad or the uncle or the mom hands over the pole to the kid, and now the kid is fishing, all right? He's right there, she's right there coaching, but now they're doing the work. And this is what Jesus does. He starts to send them out on short-term mission. They go out, that's what the passage that Rich read, they go out and begin to start doing the things that Jesus does, proclaim the message of the kingdom, heal people, and then they get to come back and debrief with Jesus. Right? This is really key. Jesus is not like, all right, I've spent whatever, at this point, a year with you. Now you're off, you're on your own. No, they go off and they begin to do these things, but they come back and they debrief. At some point, no matter what you're learning, especially if it's something challenging, somebody will at some point say, your turn. You've, like, and for me, the tendency is always to be like, I want to keep watching. I'm not ready, right? Think about something you've learned that's been challenging. You watch, you watch, and all of a sudden, somebody just kind of like pushes you into the deep end. And that's what you need. You've got to get out there and start doing it, right? You don't need more information. You need to get out there and start doing it coming back and debriefing, right? Remember, we talked last week that being a disciple, I think the best description is being an apprentice. You're, as a disciple, you're not just learning knowledge, you're learning competencies, you're learning skills, you're learning how to do things, and then you should have some structure, we're not going to be able to talk a lot about that today for time, to come back and debrief about that. So let's think about, remember our, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, our handbook for discipleship, 
uh, that I've been trying to tell you. Let's just pick out one command from there. Let's pick out the command to love your enemies. Most of us are like, yep, all for that. We should love our enemies. We talk about it a lot as Mennonites. We should love our enemies. All right, what's the difference in me saying you should love your enemy and me saying to you, did you love your enemy this week? Totally different question. Totally different question. You should love your enemy. Did you love your enemy this week? For example, the guy at your work that drives you absolutely insane, were you able to love him this week? The woman who was saying nasty things about you at your job, were you able to pray for her this week? Do you see the difference here in that? And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to be in relationship with other disciples, is to go out live out the teachings of Jesus, come back and do a debriefing where we're asking each other, are we actually doing this stuff? Right? We're we're so, again, I'm, I'm hammering away at this, but this is what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We are so information focused. We think the answer to everything is more information. And when you come to something like loving your enemies, you don't need any more information. I don't need any more information. What we need to do right now is start loving our enemies. And I'm not talking about enemies across the ocean. I'm talking about enemies and people annoy us right now. That's who we need to love. And we need people to ask us, are you doing this? That's discipling. That's just one little thing. But do you see the difference in information and being in a group of disciples who are asking each other, are we actually doing this stuff? Now we're moving from the, I'm just watching Jesus, to I'm going out and doing this stuff with the help and support of someone else. And that's why you need mature disciples. And it goes both ways. When you're in a discipling relationship with someone, it's not just that you're discipling them. We're not Jesus. We're, I mean, we're, we do follow Jesus' method in some ways, but we're not Jesus. We're going to be learning things too. I learn in any discipling relationship I've had, I have learned, I think, as much or more as I have given. I have been challenged just as I have challenged other people on their discipleship journey. There's one more part to Jesus' uh, method, and that is to finally send them out, right? The Great Commission, the Spirit's going to go with them, and we'll talk about that. That's key. But they're out on their own now, right? The physical Jesus is no, now we're going to test the strategy. Does it work? Right? Remember, everything, Jesus has hinged everything on the strategy. I'm going to train 12 guys, and I'm going to send them out, which seems in some ways like an insane strategy. But it worked. Right? Those guys went out, they proclaimed the message, they made other disciples, they made other disciples who we are now disciples of Jesus in Northeast Ohio. It worked, right? That's that last stage is multiplication. It's not enough for us just to become disciples. Our call, if we're going off the Great Commission in our own mission statement, is to make disciples. And we're going to have to talk more about what that means. Right? I just want, I want you to notice two things here, though. I want you to notice, one, it's going to have to be relationships and not just information. And it's going to have to be we. That probably is going to look slightly different for all of us. But if we're, looking, if we're always looking for somebody else to disciple, I don't think we're going to grow as disciples. I don't think it's going to work. We just know that too much from real life to know that's not going to work. It's going to have to be relationships, and it's going to have to be we. I want to say one more thing, though, that you've got to get if you're going to understand this. You have, if you're going to be asked to invest in people, it's going to be a costly investment. It's going to cost you time. 
It's going to cost you energy. You're going to be made more vulnerable. You're going to invest. You have to understand how much Jesus Christ has invested in you. When you come forward, if you are a baptized believer following Jesus, you will be handed a piece of bread and, you will say, and the person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. For you. And when you take that bread, I want you to understand, this isn't just someone out there. That's for you. When you come and get the wine or the juice, don't worry, someone's going to say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus Christ has invested in you. Jesus Christ has broken his body for you. Jesus Christ has shed his blood for you. Jesus could have picked other alternatives, right? He could have just shouted down from heaven, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break up into teams. Here's the message we're going to do. No, what did Jesus do? He fleshed himself. He came to earth as a baby. He lived among us. He died for us. Jesus didn't give us information. He gave us his life. You've got to understand that. Jesus held nothing back from us. Yes, investing in disciples is costly, but that's because we are the recipients of the most costly investment, Jesus' blood and body for us. In other words, it was personal for you, and it's going to have to be personal for others. Let's pray. God, thank you that you just didn't send down a book or information or a lecture or a podcast that you, when you wanted to rescue all of creation, you came down yourself, Lord. You lived among us. You know what it's like to live among us. And you died for us and were resurrected from the dead. Lord, thank you for your incredible investment in us. May we, as your disciples now, go out and invest in others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.